Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia. With me today, here, live from PantheaCon, we have Rose Red and Artemis. Good morning. And our very, very special guest, Mary Greer. Yay! Yay. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> welcome, Mary. We are delighted. We are honored. We are speechless and giddy with delight that you have joined us. Me um, too. <laughs> good, good, good. So, um, You've been doing tarot for quite a while. You've written a number of books, um, and it would be possible to talk to you for hours on end. However, since we don't have hours on end today, we'll try to keep it focused. Um, I think maybe a good place to start, I know um, that we've talked amongst ourselves and we're sort of curious, you've been writing about tarot and working with tarot for a number of years. Um, How did you actually first find tarot and decide it was something you wanted to pursue? Well, actually, it was Christmas of um, 1969. No, wait, 68. <laughs> and a friend of mine uh, got one of the Eden Gray books for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah, I go over Christmas morning for us to share our uh, Christmas goodies, and there she has this uh, fabulous book, but no cards were going through it. And I'm just looking at these images. At the time, I was in college, and... I was studying uh, English Lit. We were focusing at the time on archetypal criticism. Mm -hmm. And um, also I was doing theater, which had, the professors had a similar uh, connection to it, and a little psychology philosophy. So what I found was that all the things I was really interested in uh, via symbolism and the understanding it in that archetypal sense that I was gaining at the time was pictured right there in the cards. Wow. So I had started doing um, archetypal look at uh, some of the plays like Tiny Alice by Albie and so on. And I'm going, why look at a play or a book or something when you can actually look at somebody's life using these cards and telling that kind of archetypal. Mm -hmm. uh, And also doing Campbell and the heroes during um, work that he did. Mm and. so Hero with a Thousand Faces, I think, was out at the time. Mm-hmm. And it it was just amazing. I, I looked at the cards. I went on a journey. I borrowed a car, that, <laughs> an old rat trap. <laughs> um, found, talked to everybody I knew. Where could I possibly find the cards that go with these? And someone told me of a place on the far side of Tampa. And um, it was an old metaphysical bookstore. Wow. So that was also my introduction to the whole idea of there being this field of mm-hmm. metaphysics because mm-hmm. I kept going back to that bookstore. Oh. But the main thing I walked away with was a University Books copy of the Rider Waite Smith deck. Oh. And um, immediately started doing readings for all my friends and their friends in college. <laughs> yeah. So I plunged in and I decided within the first year that someday, I kind of pictured myself as, you know, in my 60s or 70s, I would take my life wisdom and write a book about the tarot. So I needed to start now to gather that information. (laughs) And although I was still working on my bachelor's, I decided that I wanted to teach it, but of course I probably wouldn't be able to teach it in in high school, so that I would have to keep going somehow and eventually get a college master's so that I or a PhD to teach in college because I had to teach this in college level. And I've done, well, I, I, I'm a two-time PhD dropout, but <laughs> <laughs> I did teach in a college for 11 years <laughs> and taught tarot there. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. that's so, amazing. Which yeah. college? 
Uh, New College of California in mm. San Francisco. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I taught um, as a non-academic subject in Florida at mm -hmm. um, University of Central Florida, mm -hmm. where I was actually on the staff. Wow, that's great. So, um, so this friend who gave you the book, did your friend have any idea of what Tara was about or just kind of saw this book and thought, oh, I'll just give this to Mary? Well, actually, it had been given to her, and oh. I was the one who kind of glommed on to it. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I was... I think there was an aspect of jealousy in there, <laughs> envy, uh -huh. that she had this magical book, mm -hmm. and but I was just so caught up in it that right. I had to pass right through her hands, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the yeah. And I checked back with her years later. Said, "Did you ever do anything further with it?" And she didn't. For really? her, it wow. just didn't really mean anything. Wow! But it started me. Incredible. Exciting. Great. Thank yeah. you for sharing that story. Yeah. You know, it's always been, you know, there's Tarot and there's Mary Greer, and they've just always both kind of been there. <laughs> so, um, so your first book actually came out, I was trying to remember. 1984. Great, thank you. I was trying to remember, and it's like, um, and, um, so when, so you decided not to wait until you were 60 or 70 to write your first I book. Well, I met Ed Buren, who, mm -hmm. uh, was a travel writer, mm. uh, hippie travel, and, you know, he told me, well, why don't you write it now? <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, through him, I got to be around a lot more writers and realized, hey, they're just ordinary people. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Right. Uh, so, you know, one of the things about college is this sort of thing of there are, you know, authors and there right. are literary right. people and right. there are these big icons mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, realizing that they're all just we're all ordinary people, mm -hmm. uh, and all it takes is sitting down to really be willing to work on it. I mean, I went, for Tarot for Yourself, I went through 16 drafts of that book. Wow. Because in some ways I was learning to write, even though I you know, was an English major. Mm -hmm. Very well, you different. were also doing that while you were raising your daughter at the same time, because you speak about that in the book. Yes, yes. yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I must admit, Ed was a big help, and mm -hmm. we had kind of a community of people that it, it would have been hard otherwise, because mm -hmm. I was teaching and writing and raising, raising a daughter, a daughter. <laughs> learning how to raise a daughter. <laughs> Trying to figure that part out. Yeah. Yeah. And did Ed facilitate the connection to the publisher aspect of um, it? Not directly, but uh, he was certainly there. I mean, he was my editor. He still edits my books, mm -hmm. at least a quick go through mm -hmm. of them. Um, he's fabulous that way. And um, he... It was more that he was supportive of it and also said that if we didn't find an editor that he would be willing to self-publish. Wow. And at the time, we probably could have done uh, pretty well with self-publishing at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. But um, I made the choice that realizing that as soon as you become a self-publisher, that's what you are. Right. You're a self-publisher. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm very lazy. <laughs> I can only do one thing at once. So if I had to promote and mm -hmm. publish and sell and, and, and send out consignments and stuff, it would have been all my time and energy, mm -hmm. even with Ed helping. So, so I want to be a writer and, and a teacher. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's great. Um, I remember when I first found Tarot for Yourself, mm -hmm. and it was such an exciting discovery for me. I was still living in the Midwest at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, very close to getting out. It's like, just got to finish my college degree and then I can get to California. Um, and I found it and it was the first non-stuffy, um, sensible book about tarot that I had seen. Mm -hmm. And it was just this huge revelation to me. And I thought, oh, 
the author of this book is brilliant. I wonder who she is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Um, so, which is why many years later, um, the first time I went to the San Francisco Bay Area Tarot Symposium and you were speaking, and I was just about to explode. I was so excited. Like, oh, I'm going to get to go to one of Mary's classes, finally. Um, okay. Which is always exciting <clears throat> and fun. Yes. I must say. Yes. Oh, um, you, you. you give fabulous workshops, and I encourage our listeners, if you ever have a chance, even if you have to drive 500 miles or buy a plane ticket or something, go to one of Mary's workshops. You will not be disappointed. Um, well, I, I love doing it. I'm, I'm as much a more teacher than a writer, and the majority of my books are based on the techniques that I use in classes, mm -hmm. which is why I think it ends up being non-stuffy and mm -hmm. it's very practice-oriented because people right. go, well, you know, that's a very nice idea or concept, but how do I do, do it? it? Right. So right. I've always focused on experiential learning. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you get your hands in, try something out, mm -hmm. and also balance out um, the different abilities because some people are more sensual, some mm -hmm. people are auditory, some people are visual, mm -hmm. so that each person can find their way according to their own strengths. Right. Yeah, and, and it is just you know, one of the many, many great things about your books is if you're a complete beginner and you're just pulling the cellophane off of your first deck, your material is approachable and usable. And if you've been reading tarot for a few years or many years, years um, I love going back and just flipping open randomly and doing one of the exercises in one of your books because it's like, oh, I haven't thought about that since last time I read this book. Yeah. Um, and it does, it helps me stay um, sharper in my practice, I yeah. would say. And what I think about with um, actually about Tarot for Yourself in 21 Ways is that it rejuvenates often. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you go mm -hmm. and you try a different process mm -hmm. and it gives you a new look at the cards that you maybe either have never done before or you haven't done in such a long time that it can re-excite, restart, mm -hmm. you know, That's start. That's yeah. Yeah, you have a, yeah, you have a technique in um, your uh, Tarot for Yourself where you use the three-card spread and you want to mesh them into one picture. Mm -hmm. And when we used that in our study group, it was mm -hmm. kind of a refreshing thing to see how can we change these three uh, images to make them one yeah. and then read them as one full story. So a uh, different way of looking at the cards. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I guess this is a nice segue into your newest book, which is 21 Ways, 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card. Um, it's from our good friends at Llewellyn Worldwide Publishing, um, and if you don't have a copy, you should. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. we don't we don't use shoulds in tarot, but your life will be greatly <laughs> improved if you if if you purchase this book and and work through it. Um, so I I guess where to start is um, how did you decide there are twenty one ways to read a card, or did you say I'm going to write sort of a more advanced book and it ended up being twenty one ways. It actually evolved. I think I maybe started out uh, in workshops with gathering 12 or 14 ways mm -hmm. and building up from there. So every time I'd come up with a, a completely new approach, I would put it on my list. Right. Mm -hmm. So in essence, I was keeping a list of um, significantly separate individual approaches or ways to look at cards to get information from them. Mm -hmm. So rather than being 21 ways to interpret every card, it's just total approaches to interpreting um, that you would use individually. Mm -hmm. So it kind of grew and I thought, well, should I make it 22? And one of the things I love about the history of tarot is that the earliest mentions of um, the major arcana, which were then called uh, triumphs, was that there were 21 triumphs 
and the fool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so actually there is a step zero at the beginning and a step zero zero uh, at the end. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very short. Uh, the first one's about breath and the last one's about returning. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, seeing what evolves through time. Um, so I, I decided to let those be sort of little surprises to people who would get it and go, oh yeah, the fool is here. Yeah. Um, but it, it sort of evolved to 21 and I tried pushing it past or seeing if I should eliminate anything mm -hmm. and it pretty much stuck at 21. Mm -hmm. um, at one point I was going to associate each one with one of the major arcana cards, you know, and do it really, you know, <laughs> here's the magician technique and here's the high priestess technique. Mm -hmm. But I realized that um, I would have to actually start changing right. uh, a couple of the exercises to make them fit more with right. the card. Mm -hmm. And that um, I would also have to put them in an order that wasn't really the ideal order for the exercises to progress. Mm -hmm. um, because I'd have to follow a tarot order and the thing that logically went with a tar certain tarot card, which would put it in the wrong order. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, it was so easy to let go of what would become an artificial system mm -hmm. to stay mm -hmm. true to the material. Um, the fact that it stayed 21 is, um, you know, it, it's nice, it's very mm -hmm. nice, but I would have let it go if anything had dictated otherwise. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's also 21 is just this nice, pleasant, magical, interesting, exciting number. I um, was thrilled that it actually <laughs> stayed that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things that I loved, um, the first time through, I just read it. I didn't do all the exercises. I didn't pull a card. I just read it through. Because, well, it, it's, I know, I know, it makes me a terrible person. No, no, um, no. Like Lon says, you bought the book, you've done your job. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Lon Milo Duquette was our guest yesterday morning, and, and he said, you know, buy my book. You don't have to read it, just buy it. That's, it, that's Lon. The author will appreciate it greatly. Yes, <laughs> yes. As he keeps saying, he's made no other provisions for his family's future. Yes. So, um, but anyway, so, so I, I, um, I, I bought the book actually directly from you. Um, when it was hot off the press and Yay. not even available in bookstores yet, and I was so excited. Um, unfortunately, we were at um, actually the San Francisco Bay Area Tarot Symposium last spring, and I was busy helping with the symposium all day and didn't have time to read it because otherwise yeah. I really just wanted to crawl under the book sale table and read, read it. it. <laughs> I didn't think Thalassa would appreciate that. So, um, so, but I did, I, I took it home and first I just read it through mm -hmm. just to get a feel for, well, what are these ways? Because I'd never really sat down and thought about how many ways there are and dividing it up like that. And um, what the first thing I noticed is that you have um, two levels of exercises mm -hmm. for each type of interpretation you have with um, the way of the apprentice and the way of the adept and the way of the adept, um, which I found fabulous. Uh -huh. um, there's so many beginning tarot books out there, and to find someone who um, did a book that is accessible to people who are new to tarot, but also okay. speaks to people who have some experience and don't need the, cops are the suit of emotions and water. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's, if you've been reading tarot for a while, you know that. So I was very excited and, and delighted to see that there were these advanced sort of exercises to get people thinking in a new way mm -hmm. because, you know, you've been reading for a while and you kind of get into your yeah. habit and it's right. like, oh, right. look, it's our friend, the Three of Swords, and you know what you're going to say about it. Yeah. And so seeing these advanced exercises, how did you come to the decision to put basically a beginner book and an intermediate to advanced book in the same one? Well, I was just going to do the 21 ways, but uh, when I do them in workshops, I take people 
Well, it takes a, a full day uh, to do the 21 in any kind of depth. I have done it in an hour and a half and covered most of them. Wow. Um, not the drawing ones, but mm -hmm. um, the majority of them. But it's that's a very rushed through thing, except people mm -hmm. do get a hint of it and experience. Mm -hmm. So actually the um, way of the apprentice and the way of the adept uh, came about because I wanted everyone to have the possibility of going through and trying out each of the techniques fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. right? Because I advocate using one card through the whole book. Mm -hmm. And I know people are going to get bored with it. I would get bored <laughs> with it. I do give you permission if you really want to shift your card <laughs> or change card midway. You, you certainly can. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd rather people shift cards than stop reading the book. Right. Um, so, But the idea is that you can go very quickly through get an idea what each of the 21 ways are, try them out, and then you can go back to ones that you are really intrigued by and interested mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. and read the more in-depth one. Mm -hmm. I get a little more philosophical, give more background and reasoning and the why, which some people don't want to hear. Right. Uh, and then I, some of the exercises, not all of them, but some of the exercises in the uh, adept section um, require spending you know, maybe an hour or two, mm -hmm. really delving into something. Right. So I didn't want anybody to feel bogged down. Right. Uh, and that's really where those two levels came from. And I really, I struggled a lot with how am I going to do this? Am I going to take everybody first through all 21 ways at the beginning of the book in a short version and then take them again through them in a long version? Mm -hmm. Or, um, and so I, I kind of first had, um, if you want to go deeper, was the next section. And then mm -hmm. Barbara Moore, who was my editor when I first started at Llewellyn, uh, suggested those titles of the uh, the two separate sections. Mm -hmm. and I went, oh, yeah, that's a cool mm -hmm. idea. Um, yeah, because you're giving yeah. the reader the opportunity to delve deeper right on the spot, or, yeah. or, or mm -hmm. they can make the choice to be able to move on to the next section that they're mm -hmm. comfortable with. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, because I've found that there are so many different ways that people learn, mm -hmm. uh, so many different approaches or different stages in your life, and mm -hmm. sometimes you're you just want to get information really quick, and sometimes you want to really delve into something deeply. Mm -hmm. um, some people want theory, and some people don't want to hear the theory at all. Right. Um, and so I wanted a book that would be as flexible as possible, which mm -hmm. is sometimes hard to do in a book. It's not like on a computer where you can have links in all different directions. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The the thing that I've enjoyed about the books that you've laid out is that you um, you highlight a lot of different decks. Mm -hmm. Knowing your strength with the Rider Waite Smith deck, um, you still incorporate um, other decks and their imagery. Um, like in um, Throw for Yourself, you touch on the Mother Peace deck and mm -hmm. and some of the other decks that maybe aren't mainstream but yeah. are still presented to allow them food for thought. Those readers that can go out and find their their local metaphysical <laughs> shop and oh I want to see what that debt looks like instead of being always um, uh, pigeonholed into the Rider Waite yeah. so mm -hmm. I, I do enjoy that too. I must admit that the Rider Waite Smith deck is the deck I always come back to mm -hmm. uh, and it's it, it's what nourishes and fulfills me at the deepest level. Um, I've got hundreds of decks um, <laughs> and the techniques that I teach you can use with any deck that has pictures on all the cards, pictorial mm -hmm. scenes, mm -hmm. right. where you can tell a story about them right. in some mm -hmm. way. Um, it doesn't work as well uh, for the Marseille style decks, the, the French and continental decks that have mm -hmm. the abstracted minors, right. um, although you can use them with the majors of any deck. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, I do have a leaning which I acknowledge. I think it's important to acknowledge as much of your prejudices as you can in the book. And so uh, it's more to let people w know where I'm coming from either consciously or unconsciously mm -hmm. because uh -huh. there'll be a lot of unconscious assumptions I'm making in the book. Right. And I want people to know as much as I can state about those so that they say, oh, okay, that's her perspective and if I feel different, it's fine to feel different and go and you know, adapt it. Mm -hmm to make it my own, mm. yeah. Um, and it's also just interesting because um, all of us own a number of decks because mm. you can never have too many decks. <laughs> and yet flipping through, it's like, oh, that's a deck I haven't seen before. What is that? I need to check that out. Yeah. And oh, look, suddenly I've acquired two or three more <laughs> decks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the one thing about like mm. Tarot for Yourself. I liked how in every introduction there was a whole set of another deck that I hadn't seen. Right, uh -huh. right. Or, oh, wait, I right. have that. In the in between the chapters. In the mm -hmm. chapters. Yeah. And I noticed that you do that with this, but not the whole deck, but different cards. And mm -hmm. it's nice to see what else is available and how you interpret that through the Rider Wave. Mm -hmm. Right, and following that uh -huh. thought, uh, in Tarot for yourself, you break down the definitions um, about what's the traditional definition, what's, um, I think you use Angelis Arians definitions, uh -huh. uh, Union definitions and then and then make up your own definition mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. So you have four different phases or colors if you will of that one meaning and then you allow the reader to make up their own uh, yeah. experience of that as well. So yeah, uh, well, I'm a collector of meanings, mm -hmm. and as well as a collector of decks and books. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have long lists, and I like comparing and contrasting. And one of my favorite things is to take two totally, seemingly completely different meanings for a card mm -hmm. and find a way to integrate them. Like the Five of Pentacles is marriage in the old European tradition. Mm -hmm. And in the um, Rider Waite-Smith cards, which come from a Golden Dawn tradition, it's scarcity. Mm -hmm. Five of Pentacles, mm -hmm. Pentacles money or resources mm -hmm. and body and the two figures out in the cold under what looks to be a church window. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so how do you reconcile? And Wade even in his book says, you know, these meanings, because uh, he drew on old meanings, cannot be reconciled. Yeah. But um, I went to a good friend, Christine Payne Taller, and said, because she does the same thing too. I said, how do you reconcile the meanings with this? I know you've probably done it. She goes, oh, that card's good for love, but not for money. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, um, uh, misery loves company is mm -hmm. one of the kind of metaphors that people use for it because it's two people out mm -hmm. in the cold who seem to be sticking together yeah. through mm -hmm. thick or thin. Yeah. And what does the old marriage um, vows say? You know, for better, better or worse, for richer for poor, and sickness and in health. health. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because he also um, puts a marriage attribute on the Five of Cups, which is not exactly a happy card. Right. And well, you know, it's the the for. If you don't have a Rider Waite Smith deck handy, um, it's the cloaked figure staring down at three spilled cups with two standing up behind the figure. Um, and I was doing some research recently and got sidetracked onto this very interesting website and discovered the Pythagorean numbering system uh, where numbers have gender. Yeah. And um, the even numbers are female and the odd numbers, um, the even numbers are feminine, the odd numbers are masculine. Right. One doesn't have a gender because yeah. it's unity. So two is the first feminine number. Three is the first masculine number. Five is the sacred marriage. Exactly. It's like, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah, uh, and it's like, in my book, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that explanation. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's funny because I actually found that before I read it uh -huh. in your book, and I was thinking, yeah. well, 
okay, so that, that makes sense. And then, um, and then here it was. And so, oh, I get that. Um, because it, it, for years, you know, it's like marriage, this doesn't look very mm -hmm. happy. Mm. And six is also considered a marriage number, although it's not as classic a, a, a Pythagorean because mm -hmm. six is two times three. Right. So again, it's the first even mm -hmm. and then the mm -hmm. first odd number, not counting one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they both have that. But with the Golden Dawn system, it tended um, that kind of love and pleasure um, mm -hmm. and the highest qualities of the suit ended up being in the sixes, which mm -hmm. are also, when you jump to the Kabbalistic system, are to pad at the center of the Tree of Life. Right. So the heart center. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different layers that you can provide. And one thing I didn't do in 21 Ways is I very briefly go over astrological uh, material mm -hmm. um, because so many people use it. But I didn't go into the Kabbalistic associations. Mm -hmm. I really debated that could have been a 20-second way. But uh, it would have been a huge disservice and very hard to get people to a place where they can actually do a practice with it before they've mm -hmm. really learned mm -hmm. the system. Mm -hmm. And so I deliberately left that one out. Right, and mm -hmm. if you're new to reading, that can be a little <coughs> overwhelming you know, with the feeling yeah. that you have to incorporate that before you can actually turn a card. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And it's hard for me to talk about something like that without doing it due credit, which means the book would have been twice as long. Right. So that's as actually it its own separate book, <laughs> right. probably. It, is. So. it truly yeah. is. Well, it sounds like you know what your next book will be then. No, it won't be that <laughs> one. I've got other books in mind. <laughs> Great. Um, how exciting. Um, but, um, and then the other thing is, um, in the 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, um, you make it very useful because um, one of the appendices at the back is the um, simply the, the, a, a list of the ways to do it so that you don't have to keep flipping through the book. Oh. You could just make a copy of this worksheet and keep track as you go through. Mm -hmm. um, for those people who have... Lots of patience and time, and are going to go through every single card in their deck um, with the twenty-one ways. Yeah. Um, I haven't done that. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you know, you're a little busy traveling and teaching and writing and things. Um, and you know, I keep thinking all that time I blew in college on other stuff, and and here I could be. I could have done all this stuff. Except I think that I, I think didn't. you can get a whole classical education if you decided you were going to learn everything you could about the cards, including their history mm -hmm. and uh, the psychological significance and all the correspondences, you will end up with a liberal arts education of the mm -hmm. finest level yeah. if you, you know, spend a lifetime doing yeah. this. Yes, I probably would have learned a lot more than I did in college, um, but hey, I got my degree. Uh -huh. so, um, uh, but one of the things I really liked is you included a glossary, mm -hmm. and you included definitions of words like Kabbalah, which you know, not everybody is familiar with. The first time I heard it, I thought, what is that? Um, and again, growing up in the Midwest, not a lot of resources to find out. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, long before the internet when you could just go pull up a search engine and look for whatever you want. Um, but you also um, you define terms that you know, well, everybody knows what the reader is or who the reader is. It's like, well, not necessarily if you are brand new to this stuff. And so I, I really like that, that you didn't just define some of the more obscure esoteric terms that you really got down with to the level of, you know, this is, you know, the basics, this is where to start. And it's always interesting when you're reading somebody's work to say, well, how do they define that term? Mm -hmm. And so I think the glossary is very useful both for understanding the work in general and also getting deeper insight into your approach. And I think it was a good decision to include it. Well, as a writer, it's pretty important to be consistent about how you refer to things. 
So I started collecting definitions and really trying to refine them because also in the introduction I define the core concepts that I'm going to be working with in the book mm -hmm. so that we can all get on the same page. People use the word archetype, for instance, very, very, very differently. And yes. you can go lots of places on the internet and have weeks worth of arguments about what it mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. means. Mm -hmm. So rather than um, you know creating that kind of argument in somebody's mind, if that's going to be a core concept in a book, it's good to say, in this book, I'm using this word in this way. Right. And then be consistent about using it that way. So I started for myself really collecting the definitions and learning, picking out what to me was the the most significant one, said in the best possible way. And um, actually I often build spreads around a core concept mm -hmm. or definition because just defining a very, very important word to you, if you take every aspect of that and make that a position meaning in a spread, mm -hmm. you can find out how that's operating in your own right. life. Mm -hmm. So for me, That's definitions great. are very rich um, uh, units of <laughs> communication right. and under <clears throat> self-understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, during your research, um, which other Tarot authors might have influenced you? Um, <laughs> I mean, you talk in your, your book, um, Tarot for Yourself, uh, Angelise Arian and mm -hmm. um, Carl Jung. I know you know James Wanless as well. Mm -hmm. um, who, who has kind of molded your idea of this collection of definitions on, on the various uh, facets of a particular card, who comes to mind? Well, of course, uh, Carl Jung, I'm very, I'm definitely a Jungian-oriented person, and so uh, a lot of that, that kind of glossary and definition comes, uh, has a, a Jungian cast to it, mm -hmm. although I try not to make it Totally oppressive. Um, <laughs> I don't have to have a degree in psychology yeah. to read the book. Uh -huh. yeah. And um, you know Joseph Campbell, people people oh, like that, yeah. are mm -hmm. have been a big influence Probably. all along. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, contemporary people, I've been co-teaching with Rachel Pollock for many many years, oh, yes. and we certainly have our own styles. But I've noticed through the years, uh, the first few times we taught, we would get into these very lively debates about different <laughs> perspectives, and we almost have to fake it now if we want to try and gender <laughs> a debate. Because we've grown closer and closer in our mm -hmm. views, influencing right. each other to the point that we really can't point anymore to <laughs> who did what or when or uh, anything. So she'd be in there both consciously and unconsciously as an influence mm -hmm. in, in that we've taught several times a year often for uh, over 15 years, mm -hmm. probably closer to 20. Yeah. Um, oh, there. The other people are so many. Paul Foster Case for mm -hmm. many yeah. years. Yes. Um, I read his basic book, The Tarot: Wis uh, Key to the Wisdom of the Ages. I read that every single year for many years. Um, I don't think there's a better person on symbols. Mm -hmm. um, although I honor Pamela Coleman Smith, whose 129th birthday was on Friday. <laughs> oh, it's it's on February 16th. Wow. Um, right. Um, and I really um, value ex incredibly what she did uh, uh, with the illustrations. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody has done better in my uh, perspective. But um, because he has a large body of writings, I'm quite influenced by Waite, mm -hmm. and who I think was absolutely brilliant, only he was so pretentious. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I can't even think of all the words that explain how difficult he is. Um, I can only read his 
works in small pieces because I just get incredibly annoyed with his um, <laughs> obfuscation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is very much a product of his time. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and he, he epitomized. That. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, so we're did. talking about 19th century style um, and this sort of supercilious air about yes. him. The I know everything, and I will enlighten you. I will not enlighten you. That was his problem. <laughs> yes. I cannot go further than this. But in actual fact, I should say that as a mystic, he realized that it was true. You cannot go. You, all you can do is point a person, take them up to a certain line, and then they have to move forward or not when you right. get on a mystical level. Mm -hmm. And that's what he kept wanting to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so people get annoyed because he says, well, Go ahead and tell us. But he's pointing you in a direction where nobody can tell you. All you can do is experience it right. yourself. Mm -hmm. So you have to commit yourself to the, um, take the step over the boundary of what can be said. Mm -hmm. right. That's the easiest way I can express it. Mm -hmm. But he does. He tells you this in such a horrible way that you <laughs> really get angry at him. I need um, somebody to do a clarification on Waits' yeah. work. Well, that's one of the things I'm, I might be doing. That I'm going to be great. going through the symbols and try, and really try to give some of Waits' perspective, but also some of his sources and mm -hmm. other materials that people are out of touch with. That they're Excellent. That would be, earlier. Yeah. That would be incredible. That would be yeah. Wow. Great. Now, also, um, um, you do put in uh, very useful and extensive bibliographies okay. in your book, which... Uh -huh. I is fabulous and I have so many influences. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to even begin to name them. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny because um, you know, my my husband and I've been married a number of years, and after you've been with somebody for a while, it's like, how do you surprise somebody? Mm -hmm. And so he says, well, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? And I just say, you know, just. Something out of the bibliography. Just yeah, exactly. you know, pull, pull one of the there's, books. There's your shopping list, right? Yeah, you know, just pull one of the books and just you know, it, it's all my books are there on the shelf. You can see what I have. You can see what I don't have. Just you know, get me something else that's listed that I don't have. And yeah. and so um, so last Christmas he actually did, and and it was fabulous. Um, I, I'm delighted and excited, and I've had zero time to read any of oh. them. But, but I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, I have them now, so at least it is yeah. possible. It's much more likely I'll read them now that I actually oh, have no. them in my house. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one reason why I read books. I mean, I write books, because mm -hmm. then I have to do the research for them. Right. I right. wouldn't read through all of Wait if I didn't commit myself <laughs> to interpreting Wait for contemporary people. Right. So that becomes my driving force to keep going back to him. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of every inclination to flee in the opposite yes. direction and go read something accessible that doesn't require a, an antique dictionary. I, well, you, you really need it with mm -hmm. him. Uh, he, every word that he uses is used very, very precisely, but you mm -hmm. do need a 19th century English dictionary in order to know what the, the word refers to. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. like, so a modern what? dictionary won't always do it. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's interesting. Just um, I have a dictionary from about 1974 this huge, massive tome that I've been hauling around with me all mm -hmm. my life just because it's this fabulous period piece. Yeah. And there are all these words that aren't in there. Um, and I have a newer, more modern dictionary. And there are all these words that are my old dictionary that aren't in the new one, and there's only, you know, 30-year separation. Yeah. And so it's like, so, you know, in 150 years, how much has it changed? Exactly. So I'd, I would be fascinated to... to um, See all the interesting words in the dictionary you use that whether you're mm -hmm. reading weight. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, you know, it was archaic 150 years ago. Uh -huh. um, so, um, great. So, it, it's again, 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card by Mary. And it's excellent addition to anyone's tarot library. And Artemis Rose, do you have any comments on it? 
Uh, no, I intend to add it to my collection uh, by tomorrow. <laughs> uh, today. By today. Yeah, well, if I have yes. time to get down there today. You will, you will. And I'll be glad to sign it if you catch me. That'll, yeah. be, that'll be awesome. Yeah that, yeah, that was also very exciting when you signed it to me. Uh, <laughs> so, anything else you want to say about your book, Mary? Um, everyone, please get a copy. You <laughs> won't know what it's like until you try it. Yeah. And, and it because really... it is experiential, and to me, that's what the tarot is all about. Mm-hmm. You can, I love the history. You can learn all about the history, but it's actually sitting there with the cards, playing with them, having fun with them, and exploring uh, what they can tell you mm-hmm. is what, to me, the tarot is all about. Mm-hmm. Great. So, so um, now that you've got this book out and 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 well established on its way. What are your current projects? What's your next big thing? Or can you tell us? Um, I can say a little bit, and that's that I I want to focus on um, the symbols. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's quite a few people who are actually jumping on that bandwagon these days, Mm -hmm. going into uh, more detail of of these, but Mm -hmm. um, few people want to go back to sources, Mm -hmm. and so that's one uh, area. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of a demand there'll be, because people are not as many people aren't interested in all the historical aspect but uh, you know what was Waite referring to when he Mm -hmm. put uh, certain things in Mm -hmm. and also I did do an article which um, I I don't think it will become a separate book but I will probably integrate very much into my symbolic analysis of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck Mm -hmm. is uh, his sources for the Minor Arcana Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, go back to his uh, book on the Holy Grail and his work with Freemasonry um, and the Rosicrucian tradition Mm -hmm. and uh, so I I very much feel that he gave Pixie who was used to uh, Pamela Coleman Smith the artist that he gave her these stories or told her these stories uh, for her to illustrate in her own way. Mm-hmm. So okay. the Minor Arcana, definitely she uh, um, brought more creativity to mm-hmm. than the Major Arcana where he was very specific, uh, White was very specific about all the images that were on there. Right. The Minor Arcana, she offered more and her own intuitive uh, wisdom, her, her psychic ability is in there. But I think... Sh- I, I'm Pretty convinced. I think I've proved it pretty, um, pretty well that she was illustrating certain storylines for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would you include the courts in that? Um, the courts have uh, some indications of it, but they also follow a little more closely than uh, many of the other cards. Uh, some of the Golden Dawn, um, uh, what imagery uh, mm-hmm. that were to be included in the court cards, although it's uh, subtly done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, there, the Golden Dawn had instructions for certain things on the court cards. Mm-hmm. So, but you do get the Fisher King with the uh, King of Cups having a fish around his neck right. and right. so on mm-hmm. from the Grail legend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think you did a workshop on this at the mm-hmm. LA yes, Tarot did. Symposium yeah. a couple of years ago, which was really quite amazing. Right, we keep yeah. promoting bats on this, but uh, well, no, no, no. This is at the LA, LA Tarot Symposium, yeah. when, uh, where, uh, where, where, where I first saw it. Uh, you know, I don't get, I don't get to go to a lot of sessions at bats. <laughs> no, you're working there. <laughs> yeah, yes. no. So, um, uh-huh. but um, and also when we were talking before we got rolling, um, you said that you're putting together a tour. Oh, yes, yes. And we, we want to hear all about it. Yes. Um, Egypt. I Ooh. am co-leading a trip to Egypt mm-hmm. with Nikki Scully of shamanicjourneys.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be taking people through a series of mystery school initiations. 
Actually, wow. I should say shamanic mystery school initiations. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, guided by the tarot in the process. The tarot wow. both for group guidance and also for individuals to get messages while um, in the temples and tombs and various places. Exciting. And uh, to help them to integrate the material from the initiations themselves. And Norman D. Ellis, who translated the Egyptian Book of the Dead, also wrote a wonderful um, autobiographical travelogue called Dreams of Isis, Mm -hmm. and a book called Feast of Light, which uh, shows you how um, you can um, coordinate uh, your life according to the Egyptian feast. Mm -hmm. She's a a very deep student of Egyptology. Mm -hmm. She's going to be joining us. Ooh. We think that Juan Milo Duquette might be joining us. Ooh. That's uh, still a possibility. We don't know for sure. How exciting. Uh, so um, quite a few tarot, a lot of tarot people, possibly one of the big uh, movers and shakers in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Michel uh, David. We're hoping mm-hmm. he's going to be able to join us. Wow. So it's going to be a very tarot um, intense trip in terms of the people there. And uh, last year, I took, um, when I went with Nikki, um, we took Nefertari's tarot, mm-hmm. uh, and I did readings for quite a few people uh, who were on the trip. Mm-hmm. And it would be amazing. I'd do a three-card reading for someone just very short, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the next day or within a few hours, we would walk into uh, a temple or a tomb, and there would be an image from the card. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. One of their three cards. <laughs> wow. And, and one time it was actually in a tomb that had not been open to the public for 14 years that we had wow. gotten permission to go into. And there on the ceiling, <laughs> one of the most incredible astrological uh, ceilings, uh, Seti the first or something uh, was the uh, the specific card that this woman had drawn just that Amazing. previous wow. afternoon. Oh, wow! Great. Yeah. So um, th- it happened a couple of other times, but that's the one that really sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's a very magical place. I've never I've traveled quite a lot in, in the world. I've been in Asia and Europe, and um, now that was my first chance in Africa, North mm-hmm. Africa. Um, and the ancientness of the place, the sacredness of the place is so overwhelming, so incredible. And magical things do happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Plus, when you <clears throat> intend it, it's just amped up to mm-hmm. an almost mm-hmm. unbelievable degree. Okay. So I encourage everybody to go to sh- uh, shamanicjourneys.com mm-hmm. and um, click on the Egypt trip. And it's November 2nd to 17th. Ooh. Uh, with airfare out of New York mm-hmm. uh, and special rates for people from a couple of key cities mm-hmm. so that you pay just a, a tiny bit more if you're flying from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um, and there will be people from some other countries that are joining us. Wow. It's fabulous. So you wouldn't want to be on that tour. <coughs> okay. That's, I'm, I'm, that's I'm, what I keep thinking. Yeah, it's a, so, so I think I need to like quit my job and just stay home and read for the next six months and so I could be ready to go on this you tour. Don't, <laughs> you don't really even need to to read. I mean, there, we, I've got some recommended um, books and sources, mm-hmm. and so does Nikki, for uh, the trip if you want to. But you don't need to. Um, as a matter of fact, I found that a lot of stuff I had read in books, as our Egyptologist was taking us around, I just kept throwing out one thing I thought I knew after another. <laughs> um, okay. So it's almost better to just go right. uh-huh. out thinking that you right. know anything uh-huh. <laughs> and experience it all. Uh, she's got an incredible team who mm-hmm. really are inc- very knowledgeable and um, 
present everything that you need to know for the journey. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, this is going to be an amazing experience. Right, you'll get it just by being there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage on a cat or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the cat won't mind at all. No, well, I, except that I don't own a cat. I think it's, it's, we have this little detail here first. It sounds like it's going to be quite an amazing experience. Is this something that you just decided, I went on this trip and I want to be able to offer something like this? Um, well, actually, Nikki had talked to me about it several years ago, and mm -hmm. I, um, because of various reasons, um, I, I didn't go. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm uh, a priestess in the Fellowship of Isis, mm -hmm. and that's an international organization that has very few um, kind of rules or regulations. Primarily, it's a focus on the goddess, so Isis mm -hmm. is seen as the goddess of Ken. 10,000 names mm -hmm. or 100,000 names. Mm -hmm. So it can be worship of any goddess and her god consort and or children, etc. Right. So, but it's a focus on the feminine um, in the divine mm -hmm. and um, a, a commitment to a practice in this world that um, you know, takes care of Mother Earth and um, non-hierarchy non-hierarchical, so even though they're priests and priestesses, it's because we've done the work to um, commit ourselves to service of others, mm -hmm. um, not as a hierarchical um, a thing over uh, top of it all. Mm -hmm. So I like the mm -hmm. approach, and um, one of the founders, Olivia, Durden, uh, Olivia Robertson, Lady Olivia Robertson, who lives in Ireland in the castle, mm -hmm. uh, family castle, uh, is, uh, along with her brother Lawrence Durden Robertson, were uh, the founders of this. He had been an Anglican priest who um, could not feel, he couldn't fully commit himself to a religion that focused on death and suffering. And mm -hmm. as he went to dis, uh, explore this ancient, ancient well in the basement of the castle, the family castle, mm -hmm. he got back into the stories of Bridget and Bridget's well. Mm -hmm. And then from there started saying, well, um, she became St. Bridget and what other figures that from older myths became saints or did other things? And he ended up um, this is back in the 60s and 50s, mm -hmm. um, researching because he could read Greek and Latin, all these old sources. So he was one of the um, major modern figures who re-explored mm -hmm. the goddess um, as she was known in the ancient world and brought back her practice in this world with her sister mm -hmm. Olivia. And so I um, was ordained by Lady Olivia at one of the annual gatherings at a place called Isis Oasis. Mm -hmm. Um, in Northern California, mm -hmm. and uh, she just spoke to me. I mean, the whole practice did. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, I've I've met many people who are involved in that particular um, kind of lineage of interest. So, Egypt, which had always been in the back of my mind, moved very much to the forefront of where I would go if I ever had the opportunity. Right. right. And I wasn't ready to jump into co-leading since I had never been there before, and I didn't feel, well, what have I got to offer? Mm -hmm. uh, but then I won an award for um, you know, excellence in the metaphysical field for my books, and it came excellent. with um, some money. Yeah, yeah, the Mary Redman Award, which uh, she's just started giving every year to somebody in a different area of the metaphysical field who she feels has offered something. I won the first one, and Robert Hand Ooh. in astrology mm -hmm. won the second one Thanks. this year. Great. And so uh, with that money, I said I could either fritter away on all the things like, uh, you know, 
fixing the washing machine and (laughs) repairing the car. Or I can do the one thing that I've been saying for a long time, Mm -hmm. if I ever had any extra money, I would do. Mm -hmm. And so I actually took the trip the first time with Nikki, which was nice. I'm used to leading things. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful to just be a participant. Mm -hmm. It was also very enlightening to myself about where my own ego issues are. (laughs) (laughs) To just be another one of the crowd. And Uh and it was with a group who did not have that much knowledge of tarot. So most Uh of the people had not heard of me. It was very, very interesting to be around people who, Mary Claire, oh, that's very nice to meet you. (laughs) But but see, one of the things I've always appreciated about you, when we come to um, a BATS or a LATS or Panthea Con, I see you sitting in the classes right along with everybody else taking in this interesting class or that interesting class. uh, And it makes me feel more a part of and not having to feel above or lower than. Um, that we're all just gathering knowledge, and, and it's an equal an equal share. That's really how I feel about it. I mean, I go to tarot conferences because I want to learn from everyone else. Right. Um, I still take classes whenever I can from people, and mm-hmm. you know, have all along. I've taken every class I can possibly manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. since you've been going so long, you become that resource. Yeah. And, and I remember, uh, it takes me back a couple of years ago when I first met you at BATS, I was showing you my first deck, which was the um, Talia's deck, uh-huh. uh, and and lamenting about how I didn't have any source in the U.S. and there was no book. And the first thing he said was, "Go to this website. It was Villa dot com, and he had it all broken down, yeah. uh, all broken down the whole history of Italia and uh, how he changed his name from Alouette and and created his school and and the whole association uh-huh. between astrology and the tarot and um, just a whole breakdown. It was. It was a helpful source. That one little conversation <laughs> opened that whole door for me. I'm uh, so glad, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, again, that's uh, part of my interest in comparing and contrasting all these different lineages in tarot and really understanding how they um, have woven in and out of each other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of people get very stuck in thinking that it's a particular way that their teacher taught them something or they read this book and right. you mm-hmm. have to do it absolutely that one way, mm-hmm. not realizing that they were adapting earlier sources and mm-hmm. you know, mixing and blending mm-hmm. their own mm-hmm. and uh, that we are going to continue, to, no matter what anybody says <laughs> about you have to follow Crowley if you use a thought deck. Or right. mm-hmm. We are... Human beings are going to continue adapting this material, mm-hmm. and it's what we do. So I, um, I, I like following those threads, those streams, and seeing what kind of creative things happen with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, you want to keep an eye on that adaptation because before we started the session, we were talking about the uh, the new giant uh, rider weight deck and. As we pulled it out, you noticed some immediate deficiencies <gasps> that um, kind of spurred up that I think maybe only you would notice based on your history. Mm-hmm. Um, different colorations, little mm-hmm. you know changes in the font, shaving of the images, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, it's all minor, but you know when you get used to and, and um, you like a certain clarity and sharpness of things, mm-hmm. then these subtleties make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the message is, if you've got an old deck. Hold on to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. buy the new one just to compare and contrast, and, and then you have the whole, you know, collect the whole set. That's what I do. <laughs> oh, totally, That's what totally. I do. I did the same yeah. thing with the Italian yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and actually the newer decks do hold up better. The plasticizing of it makes it much more easier to shuffle. And uh, they're one of the, I was using an older deck with um, 
when I was doing readings yesterday and there were some people who were really mushing the cards and I'm going, oh, please don't bend it, please don't bend it. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Here, I'll shuffle for you. <laughs> Maybe that's why people did uh, because these plasticized cards don't bend nearly as easily mm -hmm. and they're, mm -hmm. going to, um, they're going to hold up better. Um, whereas the older decks, you're going to really cringe when somebody starts, you know, Doing the messing. arched shuffle thing. Yeah. yeah, well, I do an arched shuffle, but there's some people who arch them, and then all of a sudden they crash in on each other, and uh, you've got, you know, half the cards bent. And, yeah. and the older decks do do that, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's um, we, we did a, a corporate party recently, and I'm doing readings for 2,000 intoxicated software engineers, <laughs> um, which was quite the experience. And um, I, I was using one of my decks that's newer and slicker, and, and the person was not quite is in control of their physical faculties as they might be. And they kind of went to shuffle and they kind of exploded and slid off the table. <laughs> He's like, what does that mean? And I said, I think it means you're a little too intoxicated to be shuffling. Yes. <laughs> Pick them up and we'll try this again. <laughs> he goes, read all of them. There's yeah. a whole bunch of them fall on the floor. He goes, read all of them. It's like, it's only a 15 minute reading. I can't yeah. do that. So. <laughs> a little too long. Yeah. Well, when, when that does happen, I will often just span the cards on the edge of the table and ask them to, to pick, pick a card for each position. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's, that way they can still get that randomization in mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. having to do the whole shuffle. So right. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I'll start doing that. With I noticed that we're all talking about how we're letting other people shuffle our cards. Uh -huh. And I got a question yes. the other day from an acquaintance who said, you let people touch your cards? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, of course. How would I know what you're thinking if you don't put your energy into them? And he said, no one lets me do that. And I've got 10 or so friends. They're like, you can't touch my cards. Mm -hmm. What is your take on that? I mean, how do you feel about that? Because I know that I let them, but mm -hmm. how do I, I mean, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Um, I think intent goes, you know, a good percentage of the way in anything that you do with tarot. So if you're very clear as the reader that this, you do it a particular way and your intent is that you will shuffle the cards for the person, mm -hmm. you know, and you're conscientious about really tuning into their um, energy, um, I certainly think it will work. Uh, there's no rules or all rules that exist are made to be broken <laughs> um, given reasons. And so um, it's up to each person to decide how to do it. Uh, in what I realized when I was getting nervous about people shuffling this one deck is maybe I shouldn't be using that deck. Maybe Correct. I should get one of these Correct. new real plasticized Correct. ones mm -hmm. uh, for doing um, th these mass point. readings mm -hmm. um, that I do. Uh, because... Um, for many people, uh, and I think in tarot for yourself, I, I recommended this, is if you have a deck that you don't want somebody else touching, then you need to keep that in a place where they're not going to touch it by accident right. or anything. Right. It's your right. responsibility mm -hmm. to you know, set that boundary. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used to call it the gypsy way, where the, per the reader would do uh, shuffle the cards, and sometimes they would say, tap the deck once. <laughs> or something like that. And you're going, oh, yeah, that's going to put my hand right. in yeah. um, So do what makes sense to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what makes sense to you might vary depending on, you know, a theory about randomization and mm -hmm. personal energy. But when you get a very special deck, all of a sudden that theory might open up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and allow you some new, new options. Yeah. Oh, you know, and buy two. Yeah. And have one that you keep for yourself and one that exactly. you, know, you use with other people. Because I, I have certain decks that... I love working with, and I have the one that I work with, and mm -hmm. I have the one that I read for other people mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. because 
it, that deck is particularly charged for being. So I have a deck mm-hmm. yeah. that um, mm-hmm. actually did a reading for my grandmother, uh-huh. um, and it was one of our last times together. And so now that is my personal deck, and I have another copy of that deck that I now read With other because other it, it has her energy in right. it. Right. Exactly. And it's like, okay, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm setting that one aside. And that never really happened for me before that. But then suddenly it's like, no, no, this is. Mm-hmm. This is now, this is not a public deck anymore. Right. Yes. And it was clear to you to make that change. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. This has been so wonderful, Mary. Oh, I've enjoyed doing this. And we've had the best time. Oh. We could keep you here for hours and hours, but <laughs> there's this whole fabulous con downstairs to enjoy and workshops to go to and people to discuss interesting ideas with. So, um,. We'd like to other... have you back after your Egypt trip. Though. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. 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 I think you all you should come on Egypt well, trip. It's, well, it's, it's, I, I was telling, uh, was discussing it with, with my husband, and he said, we have passports, let's go. Oh, <laughs> so, um and, and his birthday falls during that time, and we always take a trip on his birthday. Perfect. So, so um, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. uh, have to check into the details and mm-hmm. have to make yeah. sure we actually, you know, the, the timing actually works. But um, it's, yeah. already, it's already on my calendar as a... It's a good time of year, mm-hmm. and although it seems slightly expensive, it's actually very reasonable for the way in which we're taken care of completely. Yeah, oh, the not yeah. having the to quality. worry about anything. Mm-hmm. Don't have to worry about a thing. Mm-hmm. It's all you know, beautifully organized. We stay in wonderful places. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a great, it's, it's a great reason to go out and buy a whole bunch of white gauze clothing, <laughs> white gauze, white linen. <laughs> And big uh, hats. Yeah. 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 Yes. But don't buy too much before you go because <laughs> I can tell you, you'll uh, be your so tempted there. Yeah. Yes. Everybody bring an extra bag because there's lots of things to buy there. Yes. And say take half as many clothes and twice as much money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Great. Well, thank you so much, Mary. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your incredibly busy, incredibly busy Pantheacon schedule well, to chat with you. us. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed doing it. This is my favorite thing to do, talk tarot. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Artemis. And to everybody listening, we'll talk at you soon. Bye. 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 See you next time.